Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So today what we wanted to kind of unpack is the process that we go through when we're building a feature out in an app. Um, it's not like the whole app itself, like starting from, I have this, you know, I have this vague idea for something and now let's go like go to Xcode and start a new project. But as a, you know, as a product, as an app develops and, you know, and gets better over time, you're going to inevitably have these little like, huh, here's this feature I have. Here's this thing that I want to do. And I want to, you know, to add it in. And the way in which you go about that is something that is requires a, a different kind of level of concern or planfulness than you know, just starting from scratch. Because obviously, A, you're smushing it into an existing piece of bit of code. Um, and also just the constraints around what you're doing are different. And recently, I ran into something where I thought it was an interesting kind of progression that I found that I was going through. Um, and when I was adding a feature to Sleep Plus Plus, which is uh, my Apple Watch sleep tracker, Basically, I wanted to be able to, you record your night's activity and you end up with like a graph of how well you slept. And people asked, a feature I got many, many times was like, I want to be able to trim the night at the end of the, at the end of, uh, you know, it says if I wake up in the morning and I don't stop it right when I wake up, I wanted to say, actually, I woke up um, at this time. Seems a very reasonable feature. The thing that I found was interesting as I went through the process of building this out. And so it's like, now it's basically a part of the app uh, is I tend to go kind of, I start off with like, huh, that's an interesting idea. How would I build that? And then I kind of, I tend to work a little bit, it's like from the bottom up and the top down when I'm working on a feature like this, which it seemed kind of funny. Like I started the data level and start being like, well, what data would I need to record? How would I record that? What migrations do I need to do in my database? What changes will I have to make there? And I start building the basic structure for that on the bottom. And then I start at the top, top down in a really simplistic way. Like I start off with what's the UI going to look like, but I don't actually build that UI. I just take whatever stock control I can find. Like I think in this case, I took a UI slider, threw it into Interface Builder, I hooked it up to that, applied a transform to it because I needed it to slide vertically. So I just like rotated it um, by 90 degrees. And that was my basic control. Eventually, I ended up replacing that with a whole custom UI and all kinds of things like that. But starting in that sort of top down as simple as I can on the UI side and then as robust as I can on the bottom side is something that it seems to work for me. And it's an, an approach though that I found that it, if like, if I don't, if I can't end up with something that I can use and can start playing with quickly, that's why I sort of the top down is important from like just really basic, simple UI. Um, I really struggle with actually getting things done. Do you have a similar experience? For me, it like any any feature that I that I want to build, I always just build it as quickly as I can and, and start using it myself. And you know, my process like we talked a little bit about betas in, in in previous episodes and everything. My process for for testing out features is really I just test them out myself for as long as I can before I show them to anybody else at all. Um, before I even send them to beta testers, usually, like you know, in Overcast, I mentioned last in last episode, I mentioned that. Um, that voice boost started out as as having different levels. It was not just an on or an off switch. It actually had multiple modes. And I, I lived with that for months before I showed anybody else, uh, before the beta started and everything. And and I really, I, I did a similar thing. I mean, like, you know, my, my UI for controlling these things is mostly just stock UI kit. I very rarely make custom controls. Or when I do, they're usually pretty lightweight subclasses of the built-in buttons and labels and sliders and stuff like that. Um, or, or I, you know, they might just be like a, a slight wrapper 
with like with one of those as, as a sub view and then and and uh you know like a few other labels here and there but for the most part i'm using mostly stock stuff because you can get really really far uh with stock components uh in a ui kit especially with all the all the custom appearance stuff that they've added in the last few os versions really i have found very little reason to to really build out tons of custom control stuff and and i've instead focused on like just skinning ui kit well and so yeah and so when, when i when i build these features i mean uh voice boost as i mentioned it used to be it used to have four levels it, it used to be off reduce enhance and boost and i went i was about to launch with this i really thought this was going to be what i launched with and i had rationales for all of them um so the reduce mode would actually cut off it, it was actually a high pass and a low pass filter it would actually cut off big chunks of the top and bottom end for podcasts that were produced with flaws with either way too much bass or sometimes sometimes a lot of, sometimes podcasts would have like very high pitched noise and so i thought a reduced mode would actually be useful and then I, and then the the volume boosting modes i actually had two i had enhance and boost and it was just two different degrees of the same thing really of the the eq and the compression and with boost being a much more aggressive compression setting what i found in the beta was people were very confused by this cuz it just labeled dynamics reduce off enhance boost it's like okay what does dynamics mean you know to somebody who is not an audio engineer is that referring to motion like what it was it was a very confusing thing um people were confused as to why they would ever want to reduce the dynamics of something um and between enhance and boost well what does that mean is this like enhance like csi uh where you're uncovering detail that is magically there somehow you know and it doesn't really communicate that enhance and boost are basically two different dynamics of the same thing um it, it was a very confusing feature and i didn't you know i mentioned last time i didn't see the confusing aspect of it because i made it and so i knew what it was i didn't have to explain to myself what it was my tester started started seeing this and and seeing that it was probably you know not ideal one day during testing i, I just mocked up a quick little thing where I realized that I was just leaving it in boost most of the time because after trying the other options here and there during development, I discovered that boost was just the best one. And that's the where I wanted to leave almost everything. Like I, I almost never wanted any of the other options. So that's when I decided, you know what, I'll solve two problems. I'll solve the the uh, intuitiveness problem and, and the UI understandability problem with what this feature actually is. And, you know, I don't actually want these other modes you know, in practice, I find out this isn't that important. So I'll cut. I'll cut those features. I'll make it one button. It's either boost on or off, and I called it voice boost mostly because it was being next to smart speed, so it needed two words because uh, it would look weird if it only had one. <laughs> this is how I make feature decisions. <laughs> important. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and and that's how that feature came to be. And I'll see if I can put a link in the show notes of uh, I I I always take screenshots along the way of designing the app. Uh, and so I have this whole history of like how the app looked in various stages of development and while prototyping various features. And so I actually have a screenshot of it with these four features, and I'll show you the effects pane with this. And then you can you can see like how the one I went with with just the two big buttons was so much simpler. Um, that's a, lo- a very long-winded way of saying that I, I kind of evolve features as much as I can, both using it myself and then showing beta testers before I before they ever get to the public. And I think it's very important not only to to have that process when adding features, but also to really consider like, you know, if I had if I had released this the way I originally I originally had it with these four different options, 
and then later decided what I decided during the beta that, you know, this actually should really just be one thing. Then that's a feature removal to a lot of people who, who use the other ones. And then, and you got to go into that very carefully. <laughs> and I'm not one to avoid feature removals. Um, I, I have often angered people by removing features, but it is, it is a lot harder to remove features politically after you've already shipped them to people. So I, I think one thing to also consider is like, how do you remove a feature from an app and, and how do you, how does that, how, how do you decide when to do that? When is the right time to do that? And, and how do you manage uh, user expectations and, and user feelings about that? Yeah. And I think it also speaks a little bit to one of the, th- something that you have to get your used to is that you are inevitably going to build features that won't ship that you're going to build stuff that ultimately just doesn't work out. And I think there's a certain amount of just like distancing yourself from your work enough that you can look at it. Like I've definitely gone down this path where I'm thinking, Hey, this is, Hey, this would be an awesome new feature. And especially this is dangerous when it's a really interesting technical problem. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think I have this really cool solution to a problem. Um, I go down this, go down the path and I start adding all these features and it's like building it all out and you get to the end and you're just like, it's a really interesting solution to a problem that people don't actually have, or it makes the gap really harder to understand or more complicated or less intuitive. And at the end, being able to say like, you know, I just need to throw this away. Like that was, that's a dead end. Like that is just not going to go anywhere. And like having done that now so many times where I'll create this, you know, create this branch, go down it, and then end up deciding that this is actually not going to work. I'm just going to throw it away is definitely an encouragement and a reminder to not spend too much time on things to in terms of trying to quickly get to a point that you can really evaluate how useful something is because it's there's so many things that in my head sound like they'll be really cool and really fun and when you implement them like don't really aren't actually as useful as you think or the 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 more like good and bad situation is when you'll show it to somebody and like they'll you'll show you'll give them something to react to and their, their response is like, huh, that's interesting. Why doesn't it just do this? And they make it sort of like there's this like that clarifying simplification that you're just not seeing because you're deep down in the weeds um, of the coolness of the feature or what like in this on this particular track. And it turns out a much better solution is it's like in this case with with voice boost, it's like you're the dynamics and things I think are it's like it's really these are really interesting and option and interesting options that you could kind of go down. But at the end, it's like really what people want is to make it louder so they can hear voices clearer. And so you, you just need on and off. And that's probably about good enough. And you have to be willing to say like, you know, all that other stuff that I was doing, like the really sophisticated dynamic stuff. It's like, OK, maybe I just don't ship that because it's just going to make it more confusing rather than actually better for most people. Right, because that was it was exactly the kind of thing where like it was technically interesting, it was technically impressive. You know, not a lot of podcast apps have enhanced uh, dynamics and and EQ controls and everything. Uh, so it was it was like a, a cool thing to do to, if I would have shipped that um, because I, it was kind of like showing off my my audio engine and my audio uh, manipulation uh, skills, I guess. But in reality, that was really just showing off for my benefit, and and it was not like it it, it was actually ma- it would be making the app worse to ship it that way because it was more confusing because as you said like not a lot of people really had that problem very often not even i had the problem often enough to use my own feature very much uh so it's it really does take a lot of editing and i feel like there's there's a good balance to be struck here between like the way i do it i move pretty slowly 
and like you know with streaming like i was i had streaming working to to varying degrees of work um probably three months before i shipped it but i wanted that very long testing period because i wanted to be very conservative with it and to have a lot of time just using it on my own phone uh before i even gave it to testers let alone to the public and at the, on the other side, the other extreme of, of this, of, of like the, the, the feature deployment speed here is kind of is like the, the kind of like continuous release paradigm where you just kind of ship something out there as quickly as you possibly can as soon as you have the idea for it and see if it takes, maybe do some A-B testing or, you know, see what people's reactions are. I feel like the, the, the better balance is somewhere in the middle of those things. I feel like I move too slowly with the way I do things. But something like that where you're constantly adding or removing things it makes first of all it makes it harder to remove things um but and second of all it, i think i think you you increase the the annoyance rate of your users like when you do things like when twitter rolls out a new feature and it goes out to a random subset of people first and everyone else hears about it and like wait why don't i have this or why is my timeline all of a sudden different or you know why does this not work the way i expect it to and everyone else's works fine these two extremes of like when how often you ship things how how much testing you do internally versus just shipping to the public and seeing what they think first. Uh, there is a healthy balance to be struck between those two extremes. I haven't struck it, but I, I, I think I would rather be on the... If, if, if I'm going to be uh, unbalanced in that way, I think I'd rather be unbalanced in the direction that I am, which is on the, on the side of being too conservative and too slow. Because ultimately, I want my app to always have a reputation of being carefully considered. Yeah, and I think honestly that the App Store itself is structured such that you can't do continuous release um, in a in a functional way because your app always has to go through app review, which can take a non deterministic amount of time, at least about a week, and so you have to be able to sh- you can only ship things to the store that you can live with for at least a week, probably. Um, which depending on what the kind of change that you're rolling out and the significance of it, or like if there's a problem um, with it, that you have to have a certain amount of conservatism to make sure that you're not putting something out there that is going to be very problematic for your product, that if for a week it's horribly broken or really confusing, like you can't just change that. You know, like continuous deployment and things works great for an app, like a web app or something that you can change in real time or in many or if like if you're in the Google Play Store, for example, you can do something like that a lot more there because you can roll out updates uh, more quickly. But in general, it's definitely something that you have to be thoughtful about and understand that it's going to like this is going to go out and you have no control over necessarily when someone's going to be able to change. And so, I mean, you can certainly go down the crazy roads where you build, have like A-B testing built into your app and it has multiple code paths and things, but that just seems like a nightmare to me. But it's definitely something that I think I'm more on the release things quicker approach that like I tend to by bite off nice small things, focus on them, get them like working and then put it out there. And in general, I think that seems to work for me. And I think mostly it's something that even it's just an attention span thing. Like I really struggle to like when I hear you talking about working on features for months, like that is really intimidating to me because I think I would lose interest. And once I got it, so like once I get something working, all the crazy edge cases are harder for me to have the discipline to, to track down. And so I tend to just focus and simplify the problem down to a point that, oh, look, all the edge cases seem to have sort of fallen off um, as best I can, which is a different kind of approach. But I found kind of works for me. 
Well, I mean, that's honestly, that's probably the more healthy approach is, you know, to, to ship something that is that is smaller but complete and ship that faster rather than wait until you have something that is complete but is big and sprawling and, and that there then and then that takes six months you know like the, I, I think your approach there is probably the healthier one yeah but it requires i guess the, it, it, and it's in, and some of it too maybe is it's it's the interesting thing of trying to decide uh i mean it's an interesting direction to shift the conversation to is how do you how we, how we decide what features to add i think is a really interest it's like it's a very complicated set of variables that i find that i'm balancing for these days where on the one hand you have the desire to make something good to ship a good product to ship software that's useful that people like you have the constraint and that you're trying to optimize for around like business model and business plan like will adding this feature increase the number of people who are using my app or paying for my app or in some way contributing to the bottom line of my business is this feature something that's going to motivate me and make me interested um and trying to balance the sort of the tension between those is I think more definitely more art than science because there's not at least at least I haven't found a, a good way to really know that other than just like this feels right um, like every now and then I'll get asked by people you know like how do how I plan releases like how do I sit do I sit down like not like I want to do like some kind of waterfall thing but do I have like a big release plan like you would you probably need to have if you were trying to apply a team of developers onto something and it's like I tend to just sit down and look at my apps and be like what could be made better what would I enjoy building well that and then think about huh I suppose that might make people like the app more and then go with it um, but then you also more often than not I'll look at an app and be like the app's kind of done like maybe I should just leave it and work on you know move on to the next app and I guess that's why I end up with so many apps but like trying to decide what feature is worth actually doing is really hard. Deciding when an app is is basically done or doesn't need massive attention for at least a little while, uh, that is a skill that that I think iOS developers need. And many of us, myself included, often don't do it right or don't have that skill uh, because the economics of iOS are, are such that you really do have a much better chance of success if you have multiple apps and the the additional value that you will get sales wise or money wise the additional value you will get out of doing a, a big feature update to an existing app might not be worth the effort that it will require to, to be put into that to to do and a lot of a lot of people want the the uh the model of just having one app that they work on forever uh well not forever but the you know one app that they pour tons of time into polishing everything up and and being able to live off just that one app and that is that is very rare to to actually have that in the app store uh, and and to be successful at that, not because you know apple is is keeping us all down or anything, but because in most cases most apps you hit you hit a wall of diminishing returns where like the most people's needs are satisfied by it who who will find it and who will want it and who will pay for it. most people's needs get satisfied pretty early on in development, and then you're just kind of like adding stuff just really for your benefit, trying to make the app better to, to boost sales or to get more press at some point or get, to get upgrade revenue maybe, um, whereas the customers really aren't in great need of those things. And the best example of that kind of thing is Microsoft Office. And you, know, you see like over time uh, all, the, all the challenges Microsoft faced over the last 20 years of like just trying to get people to buy Office upgrades. And, and when, when everyone's sitting around saying, you know what? 
Microsoft Word has been working fine for me. I don't really need anything else. Please don't add anything else. You know, because every time I upgrade, I pay this large amount of money and then everything gets slower and some things are different and I have to retrain myself or my staff. And so you have like customers who are actually kind of asking you, please don't upgrade this. So I, I feel like, you know, if you if you take lessons from, from the industry in the past, you can kind of see like a lot of times, it, it, given limited resources, limited time that you have as an, as an individual or as a small company, doing an upgrade to, to a product for the sake of upgrading it uh, is not necessarily the best use of your time. And and you, David, you know, you have, I think, a very good sense of that, um, possibly even an overly aggressive sense of that, but I think it serves you very well in that you don't seem to pour a lot of effort into into massive upgrades to apps that don't necessarily warrant them, and you are very happy to try new apps way more often than most people I know. Yeah, and I think some of it is coming from understanding that, I remember I rec- oh, a few years ago, I had the sort of the, re- the realization that the way we version number our apps that is sort of in some ways somewhat our art like it's kind of arbitrary that we tend to do this this concept of like a major a major update and then you have minor updates and then you have bug fix updates like you have like 2.1.6 or something and it's coming from a world where you made your money only on major updates and so you had to kind of create this sense of you put out a major update to get a bunch of money and then you do minor updates in many ways to build goodwill and bug fix updates just to fix things. But like you do these minor up- updates to build goodwill with your customers. So they, they have this feeling of like they bought like this basic thing and then, hey, they got this other stuff for free. Like they got all these these minor updates, these other improvements for free. And then you come around and it's like, all right, now it's time to shake that tree, the money tree again. And down will. And so like here's version two. And you kind of, you know, it's like now it's like, all right, now all that goodwill I had, I'm kind of cashing it in and saying, please, you know, please give me, give me some money again. And you have to have some kind of feature or some kind of thing that you're able to point to and say, like, this is why you should pay me money now. But in the App Store, and at least in a lot of the way the the App Store economics work, that isn't actually the reality anymore, that it isn't a situation where, like, most of my apps don't make any substantial, like, when I do a major update, I see a a little bump maybe in revenue but overall it's really just about sustaining and maintaining a level of revenue um in the long run and that changes a lot that mentality that like the version numbers of my apps are in some ways kind of arbitrary like they're almost more just marketing things like if i'm trying to get the attention of the press then i may call it a bigger number um but i could also just call it version one version two version three version four and it would be just as descriptive uh, as far as my customers are concerned yeah, I find the same thing with, you know, with paid apps, especially where like, you know, if you the, the massive version number change is really good for press, but it, in sales, you know, the, the, the sales can result from that press, you get a little sales bump sometimes. But I've always found that whenever I've done major updates to two apps, uh, this is goes all the, all the way back to Instapaper, certainly Overcast, uh, whenever I've done like significant feature updates or major like, you know, x.o updates, there is a bump. But it's a pretty small bump in sales, and it's and it, every every major version bump is smaller than the one that came before it. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, so you really are. I think you're right. It it really is about maintenance. Like you are you are keeping the app up to date. You are keeping it competitive in a competitive field. You are keeping users interested. But it, I don't I don't think any of those things require major X updates 
really ever necessarily <laughs> you know you can you can you can add like moderate scale features over time as they come and and achieve most of that same goal we are sponsored this week by imagex imagex.com slash utr for under the radar imagex is basically a, an image cdn that they they serve your images but you can do operations on them, so you can resize them. You can trans. You can translate their formats. You can you know scale and crop and and twist and change the colors and do everything that you can add annotations to them. The number of operations you can do on these images simply by adding URL parameters and signing the URLs is incredible. I mean the you can you can resize them to any dimension. Of course, you can you can crop. You can letterbox any kind of resizing needs you have. They can do it. But you can also, as I said, you can do things like blur filters. Um, you can do all sorts of special effects. You can adjust the colors, the toning. You can really do quite a bit with ImageX. I use it myself uh, for Overcast, and I, I have, I've been very impressed with it. It is very, very fast. Overall, I would say ImageX is really worth looking at if you, if you need image manipulation, either for your app, where you're serving, you know, pulling images off the web, you need to do something with them into an app, or for web pages, it's especially nice for web pages um, because you can you can do things like serve responsive images, serve different resolutions to different browsers. There's there are lots of libraries if you want to uh, to use client libraries. They have lots of those, including one for Swift called Iris, which is from the developers over at Hodinkee. And if you if you look at Hodinkee is a, is a watch website, like a watch enthusiast website, and uh, and they have beautiful imagery all over the site, and that's all powered by ImageX. So you can see a great example of all the things it can do there. Anyway, check it out today, imagex.com. That's I-M-G-I-X.com slash U-T-R. Thanks a lot to Imagex for sponsoring our show. All right. And I think in closing down this, one thing that I was trying to think through is like the concrete example of the best kind of features to add to an app. And the thought that came to mind is something that they'll talk about in video gaming when you're doing like uh, they'll be doing a patch or an update to an app or to the game and they'll call them quality of life improvements which are changes that don't change the fundamental nature of your app or of the game in this case but are things that make using it better like it's just a quality of life thing it makes doing this operation that used to be kind of annoying or complicated or awkward simple or more straightforward and like that kind of quality of life update um, when i'm looking at an app that i have and i'm trying to think of what are features i need to add the first thing that i always try and think through and i think it's a great place to start is like are there any quality of life improvements i can do is there some operation right now that is common and frequent but awkward and annoying and if i can find anything like that like that is by far the low-hanging fruit that i need to make sure that i'm taking care of before I worry too much about inventing new problems to solve. Like, is there, are there existing problems that I have that the app solves, but solves in a way that I could be make better? And if I do that, that's where I think you get the most bang for your buck. And that's where building features out and doing these little improvements that you can ultimately, like, you can, you can over time make your app just more better and better without making it more and more complicated or more and more sprawling. All right. Thanks a lot for listening this week. Uh, please recommend us on Overcast if you get a chance. Help spread the show. Uh, tell a friend. We, we'd love to get uh, more listeners to the show. And uh, if you want to support our network and us at Relay FM, uh, Relay FM just launched uh, memberships recently. So you can you can pay money optionally to any Relay FM show or to all Relay FM shows. 
Uh, if you want to just give like a nice basically monthly donation to us, uh, we'd appreciate that if you feel like it. If not, no big deal. Thanks a lot to Imagers for sponsoring. And uh, yeah, thank you all for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.